Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Let's begin with prayer. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning as one people and one purpose to glorify and lift your name. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word today, Lord, that it just take root in our lives and in our heart, that we walk away changed, not because of anything I say or because of anything that we say between ourselves, but, Lord, changed because we have entered the presence of your Spirit. Lord, we give all glory and honor and praise to you, our God, our Savior, our Redeemer. We pray this in the name of the precious name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. So, the names of God. (laughs) Well, I could probably preach a sermon on every single individual name. And we would be here for, oh, year and a half, two years. Uh, as I got into this study, and I started this study a long time ago, I, I came to Pastor Aaron and I told him, I said, look, this is on my mind. If ever you feel in your heart the opportunity, the need, you know, just someone to fill in, I would love the opportunity to share what God has put on my heart. I'm of the belief that when we think of God, We think of him, I don't know how to put this, but very singularly, he's God. Okay, he's God. You you talk to people and you hear him refer to God as the big guy in the sky. Is that God? The man upstairs. Is that God? I've even heard people say he's my (laughs) co-pilot. If he's my (laughs) co-pilot, I'm in the wrong seat. Uh, God should be the pilot. My hope today and next week is that we're going to walk away from here with a better understanding of who God is. He is so much bigger than the name God. If you understand what I mean. So what is the name? We all have one. According to Webster, a name is a word or phrase that refers to or that can refer to a specific person, a specific place, or a specific thing. It can also be a word or phrase that refers to a type or a group of things. But names are an incredible part of our identity. They carry deep, personal, cultural, familial, and historical reference, connections. They give us a sense of who we are, who we are in community, who we are in this world. In the Bible, name was so much more than just a label. 
It was equivalent to whom and what the bearer was. They had meanings. Your name spoke to your character, the essence of who you were. In 1 Samuel 25, 25, you don't have to turn there. That's not our text for the day. But in 1 Samuel 25, 25, it says, My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless man named Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name is Nabal, and stupidity is all he knows. In the message, it reads, Don't dwell on what that brute Nabal did. He acts out the meaning of his name. Nabal, fool, foolishness oozes from him. That's the message. We find Satan in the book of Job standing before God, making accusations and accusing Job. And we find out and we learn that the name Satan actually means what? Accuser. Accuser of the brethren. Names have meaning. Names are important. The name, the word for name, is used over 1,000 times in the Bible. I think that alone attests to the importance of names. In the New Testament... A name is sometimes interpreted or translated as reputation or character. In the Old Testament, it is translated at times as memory or remembrance or renown. Giving a name to anyone or anything was basically tantamount to owning that object or that person. And the changing of a name often meant a Uh, rising up of status, an increase of importance. Several times you will find that as God changes the name of a man, he has changed the character. I'm sorry. You will find out as God changes the character of a man, he changes the name of a man to match that character. Jacob is a very good example of this. Jacob means what? Deceiver? Supplanter? And he lived up to that name. He stole his birthright from his brother Esau. He deceived his father, Isaac. But then, he wrestled with God. God changed his character. God changed his name. He changed his name to Israel, fighter of God, contender, triumphant with God. That is what Israel means. Abram, you all remember Abram. His name meant exalted father. And he was, he was the father of the Jews. But his name was changed to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. If you follow the lineage through of Abraham, you find out that Christ is in that lineage. And we, 
as children of God, believers in Christ, we are part of that multitude that he is the father of. Names mean something. In ancient history, and we see it in Egypt, when you blotted out a name from record, or you took and chiseled off the face from a monument, or chiseled the name that had been carved in stone, it was the exact same thing as destroying the person, erasing him from existence, from history. That's how important names were. The name and the character of God go hand in hand. Just as true belief in the name of Jesus is belief in Jesus himself. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying in accord with the character of Jesus. Names reveal the nature and the character of the one that is named. I'll give you a perfect example of this. This person sits within this very room. <laughs> um, remember Sarai from the Old Testament? Her name means princess. But her name was changed to Sarah. And can anybody tell me what Sarah means? That's right, I'm looking at you. Means my princess. Perfect example of names having meaning. The divine names of God are vehicles. They are descriptors of who God is. It's one thing to say God. It's another thing to me to think of God in all the different ways that he has revealed himself and his character and who he is. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. This is the only text I'm going to ask you to open to. And I promise I won't mess with you like I have before when I have asked you to open to the book of Hezekiah and sat here and watched people flip through pages and not being able to find it because it doesn't exist. Exodus 3, 13 through 14. I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. In Zechariah 14.9, we read, on that day, Yahweh will become king over all the earth and Yahweh alone and his name alone. After the fall and after the flood and through time, we find a people on earth in a sinful state people that had drifted and fallen far from God. But God revealed himself to mankind as they began to call upon his name. 
And one way that he showed his character was by his name. Now in our text, God tells Moses his name is I am who I am. In Hebrew, that is Eya Asa Eya. Eya is a Hebrew word that means I exist. I am existing. I will exist. But it also has a context of action, not just being. It means I am creating. It means I will do what I will do. I will be what I will be. I am all sufficient. I am all reliant. I am the being. I am your God. I am the provider of your needs. I am the supplier of everything you need. I am what you need. Genesis calls him Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Abraham took his son, he walked up the mountain. He had a big old knife and he had a bunch of firewood, but he didn't have a goat, he didn't have a lamb. They got up there, they built an altar. Next thing you know, he puts his son on the altar, raises the knife up in the air. I firmly believe that had he not heard a rustle in the bush, he would have plunged that knife through the heart of his child. He was doing what God told him to do. But it was a test. And God provided a ram in the rush, a ram in the bushes. So they sacrificed the lamb. He met Abraham's need. I've got to read this because I, I can never remember what it is. I was born with esophageal atresia. The exact same thing that little Logan was born with. My esophagus was connected to my lungs instead of my stomach. 1965. Uh, the first surgery performed for that was in England in the 1890s. And the first uh, uh, recent uh, modern surgery for that kind of affliction was in 1941, if I remember right. So I was born in Barberton Citizens Hospital. Esophagus connected my lungs instead of my stomach. And my mother would breastfeed me and I would drown. That was a pretty bad situation. They stuck tubes, I still have holes here, where they fed me through tubes into my stomach. My mother prayed. On a side note, prayer is an amazing thing. God knows what you need when you need it. And he knows what you need when you need it before you know you need it, if that makes sense. God knew a thousand years ago that my mom was going to pray on July 16th, 1965. So what did God do? God put a doctor in Akron, Ohio, who was a renowned surgeon for this very thing, teaching a seminar somewhere in Akron. The hospital contacted him 
and he came and did my surgery. And that's why I'm here. I was a preemie. I was born seven months, six months. I don't know, something like that. I was early. I was a tiny little thing. I don't know, four pounds. I was, the doctors, my, according to my mother, they thought I was going to die. Jehovah Jireh. God provided for my need. God is a provider. In Exodus, God is called Jehovah Rapetcha. I am not a Hebrew scholar, so if I pronounce something wrong, please do not call me out on it. Jehovah Rapetcha, the God who heals. In Exodus 15, 22 through 26, we read, Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding any water. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That's why they named it Marah. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw that tree into the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statue, an ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord, your God, do what is right in his eyes and pay attention to his commands and keep all of his statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Repetja. We pastored a church. A little town called Red Jacket, West Virginia. It had a post office. It had a church. And it had a bunch of hollers. And if y'all don't know what a holler is. You drive down this road in the middle of the mountains. And that's all it is. It's just a holler through the mountains. By definition, a holler has water that is running through it. So there's usually a creek or a stream. Living almost directly next to the church was a couple named John and Brenda. I do not remember their last names. I asked my wife, my princess... And she could not fill that. So, John and Brenda. John had gone to the doctor. And they had found a mass. And it wasn't in his leg. It was actually in his abdomen. If I remember correctly. And he was going back on Monday. For them to do further tests. The Lord really laid it on my heart. To pray for this man. Again jumping back to prayer. It is a powerful thing. The Lord laid it on my heart to pray for him. So I talked to two other members of the church. We went over to his home. We anointed him with oil. We laid hands on him. We prayed over him. He went to the doctor on Monday morning. 
Monday night, I got a phone call. He had gone to the doctor and they had done more x-rays and they had done more tests. And that mass wasn't there. It was gone. I am nobody special. My hand didn't do anything. That oil didn't do anything. Our prayers, us being there, just us being there didn't do anything. God did something. Now, I don't know why when I had cancer, God didn't just touch me and heal me. I don't know why all these numerous people that we know in our lives, that we have in our circles of influence that suffer from sickness, that suffer from disease, that suffer from some type of infirmity. I do not know why I do not have the answer why God does not lay his hand on every single one of them and heal them. God has a will and a plan that is above my thoughts and my knowledge. I know that. But I also know that in my infirmity, when I had cancer, God used me to speak to other veteran cancer patients that were lying there getting infusions, getting chemotherapy, that had no family there with them, that had nobody that gave a crap about who they were. God allowed me and gave me the words and gave me the opportunity to be some semblance of a beacon of hope in their hopelessness by sharing the one thing that I know. God is hope, God is life, and God loves you. So did he heal me? No, but if he had healed me, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have been able to be used. So through our afflictions, God can use us in a manner to give healing, maybe not physical, but healing in a spiritual way to others. Never discount that. God is a God of healing and there are many, many types of healing. Jehovah Ropecha, the God who heals. Leviticus calls him Elohim Kodashim, the holy God. He is pure, he is spotless, he is without sin, he is perfect. In Deuteronomy, he is called Elohe Kedem. The God of the beginning. The one who is before all things. Who made all things. He's called Elohe Elohim. The God of gods. Which is more properly translated as the, above, as the God that is above all spirits. All angels. All of heaven. So we have a perfect. Holy sinless God that is above everything. I don't know what's on your shoulders. I don't know what burdens you down. I don't know what burdens me down. 
I don't know what trials and tribulations you might be going through. But God does. And being that God is the maker of all and is above all, there is not a thing that we can go through that God cannot interact with, that God cannot get us through. He may not remove it. He didn't take Paul's issue away, the thorn that was in Paul's side. Paul asked three times for God to take it away. How many times have we, how many times have you, me, how many times have we asked, God, just take this away. Get me out of this situation. Smack this other person in the head. Get them to see what's right. From my perspective. A lot of times he doesn't do it. And we stand there. Maybe there's a reason he doesn't. I am 56 56 years old. A lot younger than some of you here. Some of you have lived a lot more life and had a lot more experiences and are a lot wiser than I am. But one thing I have learned and one thing I have shared in the small groups that I have been a part of is that I have quit asking God to take stuff away. And I am starting to ask God, what is it you're trying to teach me? How is it are you trying to grow me through this? It's perspective. God is above all things. He could take this away. He could put us in a perfect situation. But if we're in a perfect situation, how much do we need him? How much easier would it be for us to forget him? God allows trial and God allows trouble. One of the main purposes for that is so that we do turn to him and we don't forget him. If you read the Old Testament, you see that the nation of Israel was really good at forgetting about God. He would do great things and they would be in a great place and that we're good. Don't need God. And he would come along and put them in a bad place and they would turn back to God. We are no different. God is above all things. And when he doesn't remove your affliction or he doesn't remove your trial, change your perspective and start asking, Lord, What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? What is it you want me to do? He'll tell you. And from experience, you may not like it. It may go against everything you want to do. But when you follow the God that is above all things, you will get to a place where when you look behind you, you are like, wow, he did that. And he used me just a little bit. It's an amazing thing. Nehemiah, we find in Nehemiah that God is called Elohe Selesho. It means the God of forgiveness. In Nehemiah, he lists a long list of the deeds that God has done throughout time up to that point. But he goes on to say in chapter 9, verses 16 through 19, Our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. 
They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders that you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Even after they had cast an image of a calf for themselves and said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt, and they had committed terrible blasphemies, you did not abandon them in the wilderness because of your great compassion. Arrogance, stiff-necked, refusing to listen, a deaf ear, forgetting the wonders and the things that God has done. Stiff-necked again. I considered writing out a list of everything that God has forgiven me of. And then I looked around my office and realized I didn't have enough paper. And I think that can be said of everyone in here. I don't care where you are and I don't care where you came from. God is a forgiving God. Going back to not knowing what burdens you or what's on your heart, God is a forgiving God. When I came down, I'm going back to cancer again, but when I came, that was one of the biggest hurdles in my life. Something I never thought I would ever have to experience. Back when we had pews, I sat right there. I was sick. I was mad. I was bitter. And I did stupid things. I refused to stand and worship. I refused to sing. I'm not going to praise you. You let this happen to me. This was before. This was before my perspective changed to what are you trying to teach me? This was the perspective of why me? Why are you doing this to me? I serve you. I love you. Why? Pride will do some terrible things to you. But God forgives. God forgives. Are there things right now that burden your heart? Are there things in your lives that you know, the Spirit's talking to you, He's poking you? You know they ain't right. But you haven't taken them to God. It's an easy thing to do. It's a real, real easy thing to do. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. And believe me, you can be a Christian and you can sin. Ain't none of us in here perfect. But God forgives. In the book of Psalms, he is known as Elohe Shasti. 
It means the God of kindness. Can you think of ways that God has been kind to you over the years? I think the number one thing that we can be thankful for in his kindness is uh, providing us with a savior. We're all sinners. We're all born in sin. We're all destined for hell. And if God had not put in a plan of redemption, we would all eventually burn in the lake of fire. That's all there is to it. Pretty blunt. But out of God's love and out of God's kindness, he allowed his son. Most of you probably have children. He allowed his son to be beaten, to be whipped, to be scourged, to be mocked, to be laughed at, to be spit upon, to be slapped. And eventually, we hung on a cross. For you. God of kindness. We're going to stop right there for this week before we move on to all the other names and attributes of God. But just in what we've talked about today, God is a God who provides. He's a God who heals. Maybe not immediately, Maybe he'll use the doctor. I can't click my fingers. Maybe he'll use the doctor. Maybe he'll use time. Maybe. And ultimately, back up. When you're going through chemotherapy with cancer with the VA, they send in a psychiatrist to talk to you to make sure you're not going to do yourself harm drive into a tree, jump off a cliff. They take it very, very seriously. (laughs) This psychiatrist just happened to be an unbeliever. So when she came and she's asking me all these questions and we get to the part of my being afraid of dying, I laughed at her. I said, are you kidding? That'd be great. I would love to die. And she looked at me and I'm like, you don't understand. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, if the Lord chooses to take me home, I'm healed. I got no more pain. I got no more worries. If I have to suffer through cancer and the Lord chooses to take me home, I'm still healed. Ultimately healed. We will all ultimately be healed when we cross into glory. He's a God of healing. He's a God of forgiveness. Man, the longer we allow sin to fester in our lives, the heavier it gets and the worse we feel. But all we have to do is say, God, and I mean sincerely, ask God to forgive us. It's gone. The devil may bring it back to our memory, but in our hearts, it's gone. We know it's gone. And there's a freedom in that. So yes, he's a God of freedom as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father God, man, we are so thankful 
that you choose to love us, that you choose to use us, or that you choose to save and redeem us, redeem us. Lord, we just pray that your spirit touches our hearts and our minds. Bring to light, Lord, anything in our lives that is displeasing to you, anything that we may harbor, ill will, whatever it may be, Lord, that displeases you. Give us the courage and the humbleness to come to you and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Take this burden from my shoulders and let me enjoy the lightness of your freedom and your forgiveness. You have provided a savior that heals us spiritually and physically and our forgiveness and a mercy and compassion. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray.